severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Just Get A Real Job. Now, this week we have a really good episode in store for you guys. So last week I had the chance to sit down and talk to Carl Wharton, who has been an actor for 38 years. He's been a working actor and it was just a real joy to speak to Carl. It was it was amazing to sit down and talk to someone who has been in the industry for so long. So I think if you're into the arts, you're going to really enjoy this. And I think if you are an aspiring actor in particular, you're going to love this and you're going to get so much out of this conversation because Carl was was so insightful. He was so passionate and it, it was just a real joy to speak to him. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. But first, we have two things to talk about. I'm going to read a poem first, as always, and then I've got a special announcement to make. So this week's poem, since Carl's from this part of the world, I thought I would read a poem from the Mersey Sound Collection. And this poem is by Brian Patton and I'm very fond of it. Something that was not there before. Something that was not there before has come through the mirror and into my room. It's not such a simple creature as at first thought. From somewhere, it has brought a mischief that troubles both silence and objects. And now left alone here, I weave interrect reasons for its arrival. They disintegrate. Today in January, with the light frozen on my window, I hear outside a million panicking birds. I know even out there, comfort is done. With it is shattered, even the stars, this creature at last has come home to me. That was a poem by Brian Patton from the Mersey Sound Collection. So I hope you enjoyed that. But anyway, yesterday me and Elliot made a big announcement and here it was. Elliot, would you like to tell the listeners what we are here to say? We've got a new Patreon page. We have, we have finally, we have a Patreon. We've been doing this for three months and we thought we'll launch a Patreon page. What we, what we want to do with this Patreon page is that we're growing as a podcast and I thought for all our lovely listeners, if you really enjoy the podcast and you want to contribute and help us grow even more by donating to our Patreon page can really benefit us and it can really make it go further. So that's why we decided to create this Patreon page because we yeah. want to grow as much as we can and we want to give you the best podcast that there is in the whole entire universe. And basically, right, what we're asking you guys is we're asking if you can afford to donate the price of a cup of coffee, the price of a pint per month towards our project, then you get the podcast, we will still do the podcast. And But I'm gonna just say as well, we know this is a very difficult time for people um, and we're not asking for much. And if you can't afford to donate anything, that's absolutely fine. We'll still do the podcast. You guys can still enjoy the podcast. But if you can afford to, and you can give me and Elliot, you know, a, a donation to our Patreon, then any money we make, it's going to go back into the podcast. It means that, you know, we can put money towards Elliot's audio software equipment. We can put money towards the upkeep of the podcast because we have to pay Podbean to distribute the podcast. And it also means we can pay people like Amy, who does our artwork, because she does the artwork for free, which is very kind of her. But it means we can give her, you know, pay people like her to do more stuff like that. So 
anything you can afford to donate will be amazing. Also, if you can't donate, you can also give us suggestions. You know, you can give us feedback. And as always, you can always give us reviews as well, especially on platforms such as Google Podcasts, even mainly Apple Podcasts. So if you can't afford to donate to the podcast, donate to our Patreon, you're always more than welcome to give feedback. So yeah, there's always ways that you can support our podcast and remember to share it and uh, keep listening in every single week. But remember, word of mouth is our biggest tool in growing this project. So if you're enjoying the podcast, please, please go and tell your friends. Um, But yeah, if you can afford to donate to our Patreon page, please just go to www.patreon.com. Just get a real job. The link to the Patreon will be underneath the podcast. We're also donating 10% of all donations to charity. Now, as always, through difficult times, it's always good to give a bit of monetary, you know, love and support to various charities, especially in this difficult time. So as we say, 10% of every donation will go to a, a charity every, or a different one every single week. And, and these charities will specifically support local artists or support getting people into the arts. So we'll pick a different one each month. But thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all the support we've had on this podcast so far. We love doing this. Can't wait. We've got some great episodes. We've got some great people lined up to interview. And yeah, let's keep growing. Just get a real job. Thank you to stay all our listeners. Stay tuned, everybody. And Woo! stay safe. Woo! Now, I know that was a longer intro than, than usual. So thanks for holding with us, guys. And now it's time, finally, for today's brilliant conversation with Carl Wharton, actor. Enjoy, folks. Hi, Carl. Nice to meet you. How are you doing? I'm very well, Jamie. How are you? I'm fine, yeah. Just um, in the little podcast broom cupboard studio. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, well, well it, it, I mean, sounds good anyway. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. Well, Carl, it's really nice to have an actor on here who's been acting for, I think, what, 36 years you've been acting now? Yeah, it's probably more like 38 or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I've lost track. <laughs> oh my God. Well, we've got loads to ask you. I think this is going to be great for some of our listeners who are, you know, at the start of their career who who want to get into like acting or anything in the arts because, you know, you'd had so much experience. So this is, I'm really excited for this conversation. Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, you know, any any experience I can share or, you know, any tips or anything. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Carl, we start every episode by asking our guests, uh, what's your earliest creative memories? Wow earliest well, I, for one i've got a very bad memory <laughs> my mum's always saying remember when you were this this age and you did this and i was like no i can't remember i can't remember but i suppose looking back on photographs when i was younger we we lived in australia for a number of years i, I was only probably between the age of two and a half up to about five but i've got photographs of myself i had i used to get like a bowl with water and i'd have a load of dinky cars you know, and I'd play for hours. So I think what I'm trying to say is that I've always been happy with my own company. I've always had a creative imagination. I, su- I suppose to ask me one specific moment, I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, to be mm. honest. But I would say that I've always had a good imagination. I've always known that, well, I wouldn't say I've always known, but from about the age of 11, that's when I knew that I wanted to be an actor. So I think mentioning that, you know, I'm, I'm quite a sort of quiet person and I don't really go for big crowds, you know, I'm not a sort of social animal. So I think I, I wanted to go into acting so I could be something that I'm not. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah. So I could do the things that me, like Carl, you know, would feel too shy to do. Mm. 
Yeah, I don't know whether that answers your first. No, question. I know it's good. No, it's good. I think actually speaking to a lot of actors who I know, I think that's quite common. Like a lot of people think actors are these big like social animals, you know, and some of them are. But I think yes. a lot of actors are sort of you know they're not being themselves. They're pl- you know they're playing a role. Obviously, that's their job. So yeah, quite quite introverse rather yeah. than extrovert. Yeah, because even even you know I suppose extroverts who you know that you see them and there's there's always people who are out there and they're quite loud and they're quite you know dropping the jokes and everything but you normally find those people uh, as well you know once they they leave the the room the social room and go home you know they themselves tend to be quite sort of loners as well yeah i don't know whether that is you know is something scientifically if they looked into it probably what, is yeah yeah what makes a person be an actor maybe it could be something to do with <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yes, we're we're all looking for uh, <laughs> you know uh, worship or whatever you want to call it. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I can't speak for anyone else. No, it's interesting though. Well, the next question, Carl, it kind of ties into um, like the first question. But like, how did where you're from influence your sort of creative journey? And where are you from? Is it Liverpool you're from? Um, um, well, I'm actually from a place called the Wirral. Uh, oh yeah, is, I, know, I know where you are. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a penin- peninsula which is across the uh, River Mersey from Liverpool. Yeah, I've looked out at it from. Liverpool. I've been to Liverpool before, and I've looked out at the Wirral. I've never been, but I've looked out at it. I yeah, love Liverpool. It's really good. Yeah, Liverpool's great. The Wirral, you know, it's 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 a nice place. It's got plenty of trees left on it and stuff like that. You know, so there's plenty of country and. Mm. Obviously, because it's a peninsula, then you've got the coast all the way, you know, around yeah. three sides of it as well. So you've got the D one side, the Irish Sea, and the the River Mersey. Coming from the area, whether that you know sort of inspired me. Well, to be honest, and I'm being really honest here, when I went to well, before I went to drama school, because I went to drama school quite late. I was 21, I think. I went to a drama teacher for, at the age of 20 for for one year just really to to make sure that you know I did want to give up my job and go to drama school so I, I started doing private lessons and I was doing elocution lessons so by the time I went to drama school I was speaking ever so well and that was one of the main things that I wanted to do was to lose my accent completely and I did and for many many years I spoke without the accent now with wisdom and I suppose with time I realized look you don't have to continue to speak like that you can just be yourself you've got a northern accent and especially in this day and age where you know if they want a northern actor they tend to get a northern actor not like in the past where it had to be an actor and had to do you know a different accent they tend to you know go for the grassroots basically so I I suppose after many many years I accepted myself I accepted where I came from I'm a northerner there are still times when I'm I'm you know like where you've just pointed out where you're from, Liverpool or something like that. You know, the, I, I still feel the hairs up in the back of my neck go, no, I'm not from Liverpool. I'm not a scouser. Yeah. I'm, I'm from the world. And that's just something that's inside me. Some okay. people will say, oh, he's just trying to be, you know, something he's not. And, you know, I think, well, there's nothing wrong in trying to better yourself. But I suppose I went about it in the wrong way. You know, I, I, I just completely got rid of my accent completely. I was speaking, I suppose, oh, I suppose RP all the time which was great I enjoyed it but then when you go for a role where you've got to do RP then Mm. I was already doing that so there was no challenge and you know funny thing is I can remember being in drama school probably in about the fourth year 
And I think the the play is called The Seagull. And one I've of the heard of that play, yeah. I've heard of that one. I think one of the characters is a scouser or something. Or I had to try and be a scouser. Well, you know what? I couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, I my God. Not. No, I could wow. not. <laughs> I really couldn't get back to doing a Northern accent. So um, inspiration from where I live. Well, I suppose, you know, you've, you've got all the creative things from Liverpool, the Beatles. Yeah. For one, love the Beatles. I did all the Beatles stuff in Liverpool. I absolutely loved it. I was like, I was like coming home for me. Honestly, it was so so fun. Yeah, well, one of the first characters I ever portrayed, I think I was in my last year at theatre school, and I portrayed a guy called Rory Storm, and his his group was Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, and they were. The big group in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah. yeah. before the Beatles. Ringo Starr was Rory's drummer. And then he left. Yeah, they swapped drummers, yeah, didn't they? That's right. I can tell pretty baby it's so plain to see. I got the opportunity to portray Rory. So we, we did that. We did a national tour. We did like the Liverpool Playhouse. We, we went up to, to Bristol. We even did the Festival Fringe up in Edinburgh. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. So that, that was like fantastic role because it was, oh, wow. it was classed as a play with music. So I was thrown into playing Rory and, and having to sing like rock and roll songs. And it was a sad story. Rory, Rory had died and, Basically, it was Rory's ghost telling his own story ah. of how it really happened, you see, because at that time, the, the press, sort of, as, as they do, they made up you know, different stories mm. of how he had killed himself, etc. Anyway, that, that's you know, a different story. But ba- basically, it was to me, I thought, this is it. This is it. This is going to be my big break. And I'll, I'll tell you a little story behind that, that um, Bill Kenwright, who was the producer, he said, sorry, I, I say the producer of the Liverpool Playhouse, he, he was in mm. charge of it then. So the producers of the show contacted him and said, you know, because they knew he was looking for a rock and roll show at the time to bring to London. So he said, well, OK, what, what you can do is during the main stage play that was on, you know, on the main stage, during the interval, you come down and in the bar as Rory and the band, you you sing to oh, wow. the people there. So we did, and he observed <laughs> that. So he invited the production company to come down to London to perform the show. He he said, Well, you can perform it for me in front of me. But for some reason, it never happened. Oh. And they they had contacted uh, Ringo Starr saying, Look, you know, we're doing this play about Rory, you're, you know. We, your old group and blah 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 and Ringo Starr phoned them on the day that they were out and he left a message just saying hi it's Ringo here you know and and he never phoned back ever again so ah for me I thought that was going to be my my big break you know and which would have been fantastic because I was just leaving college as well you know and you know my path probably would have been different than it is now but it didn't happen for some reason and you know after 38 years or so I'm still waiting for that that, that one yeah oh I felt like I was listening to my own podcast there like I was I forgot I was uh, I was talking to you I just genuinely loved that story so much. oh man I'm a massive Beatles fan and I love all that stuff so oh, genuinely that was amazing I need to it, give it, myself it. a minute <laughs> well let, let me tell you just one more story there while, while we were performing at the, the Liverpool Playhouse because 
we were in the studio, not the main stage. We're in the studio. So the audience are very, very close. And the whole play was more or less a bit like a one-man show because it was just pages and pages of mm. monologue. You know, Rory talking to the audience and then they'd go into a into a song and then it'd come back out of the song and back into the dialogue. And I'm, you know, acting away, talking to the audience. And I, I can see these women to, to, <laughs> to my right. And, you know, they're sort of leaning to each other, talking, and then they're crying. You know, they're oh. crying and thinking this isn't even a sad part, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to stay in character. So it's amazing how as an actor, you can, you know, your mouth can be speaking the words, but you can be mm. still observing something that's going on over there and not get distracted. Anyway, so at the end of the, end, end of that performance, these two women come over to me and they say, we, we were actually fans of Rory Storm when, oh. when he was alive. And they said, we don't want to scare you because, you know, one of them was a medium, mm. but Rory was stood next to you oh, all in one that's that that's a bit that's amazing but it must have been a wee bit scary for you as well you must have been like, oh. <laughs> uh no it was it, for me it was a justification mm. that I, I was actually doing a good job no that must have been very gratifying like just to see and moving yeah. and moving actually to see how they were you know yeah. wow and and rory's sister iris was also there so and she came over to me and she said how how did you know to do those things with your yeah. face and i said what do you mean she said well you did this thing with your face and and the, the rory used to do now there was no there was no footage when yeah. when i had to rehearse for rory there was no footage that i could follow so somehow i had his mannerisms without even knowing oh. that they were his mannerisms and for her to turn around and say look you, you nailed it you, you were rory on stage that i mean that that was just the best role i think that i've ever portrayed well that was actually gonna be a question i was gonna ask you later but i think you'd answered it so well here one of my questions was gonna be what's the best role do you think you'd ever played but wow no that's great yeah before that i used to be stood on the roof because the, the playhouse studio was up, up many levels so i'd be outside and i don't know whether you 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 know the uh, the old radio city tower i mean it's a it's a thing you know hmm. looks like a ufo yeah. on yeah, yeah, yeah. so when i'm stood on the roof outside you know just getting some fresh air before the show starts i used to talk to roy I and mean, people probably think I'm, I'm mental here but you know I, I i used to talk to roy say look roy you know i'm about to go on please you know give me support let me oh, do a wow. good job and it seemed to work, you know. And then, as I say, you know, several nights later, when they came up and said, we saw Rory's dancing next to you and stuff like that. It's just fabulous. Yeah. That's, that's honestly, what, I'm, I'm, I'm just like blown away by that story. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, the next question I have, this organic kind of ties into where you're from, but do you, like we ask all our guests, do you have a favourite word or phrase from where you're from? I'm quite excited to hear what your answer would be for this. <laughs> oh, Wow. I suppose when I was younger, before I started going to drama school and trying to get rid of my catchphrases that come from the north, <laughs> you know, we, we used to say things like, oh, it's sound, you know, things like that. We say that yeah. here. We say that where I'm from in Fife, that's like, we always say that, like sound, yeah. oh, it's sound. That must come from there then. That probably does originate from that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm talking about when I was probably 15, 16. So, you know, going back a bit. So I, I don't think it's used so often now. I think people use the word sick now, don't they? Things yeah, they like probably that. do. But me and my friend, certainly, we say that all the time. Like, I'll, I'll be like, to the editor early of the podcast, he's like, I've got the episode ready. And I'll be like, sound. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Brilliant. So I love, Brilliant. That, I love that that's still, yeah, that's great. Yeah, but ooh, I don't know. I, I can't really say. And I don't want to make something up 
for the sake of it. I mean, there's there's one word which me personally I like, and it's uh, quintessence. Oh, really? To me, it's just the word itself is, is just perfection. The it's, sound. It, of it. It, you know, a word can t- like almost taste good. That's one of those words. Yes. Like it does. It yes. has like such a nice, yeah, quintessence. Absolutely. Yeah, quintessence. Yeah, and you know, I think back. I think well, everything I've tried to do in my life, whether it, it was through acting or because. I, I trained as a joiner as well. So, you know, I've worked in different jobs and I'm sure we'll come on to that. Yeah. But whether it's doing a piece of joinery or, you know, performance wise, I've always tried to be a perfectionist in a way. Yeah. Not all, always from a, my own benefit either. It, sometimes it's tripped me up trying to be too perfect. I think a lot of the time, a lot of my career has been theatre. So, you know, I've yeah. done years and years and years of theatre because I never wanted to do film. But there was one particular film, which I can... Yeah, I, got, I wrote that down to ask you, yeah. Yeah, I can yeah. actually carry on into that story or I can wait to you ask can, you. Can, to you. Well, do you mind if we, we can come back into it in like five minutes time? Is that okay? Absolutely. Because yeah, I'm, no I'm excited to talk about that because I've got some nice stuff to ask you that, um, which I think our listeners really enjoy actually. Yeah. But do you mind if we just wind back slightly and go to like your decision to go to drama school? Yes, of course. As I mentioned earlier, I think I was about 11 when in school then we didn't have drama departments, you know, as they do now in schools, there was, there was no such thing. And it, was, it wasn't even on the uh, career list, you know, how, how to become an actor. It wasn't. It was either go to a factory, work in a shop, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I think from 11, I just knew inside myself that I wanted to be an actor, but I never knew how to go about it. And I can remember being in in lessons in, in school and they'd have, say, one hour drama lesson a week or something. So everybody, you know, would be sitting around with a, a book open and the teacher would say, you know, Wharton, you read blah, blah, blah. So I always wanted to really be bringing on voices, and and but I was too shy. I was really too shy. So like everybody, I just read monotone, and everybody read monotone. So drama lessons were really really boring at school. So I didn't, as I said, I didn't have any idea of how to get into into drama, um, how to become an actor, because you know think about it, we didn't have the internet or anything then. No. So you know there, there was no ways of finding out. It was just newspapers and stuff like that so I thought well what else do I want to do because I'd lived in Australia I I was always thinking I want to go back to Australia and being a joiner would be a good job going back to Australia so I left school and I went into joinery and trained to be a joiner but always had this acting thing inside me. And another aspect of my life was I was always into fitness and part of me wanted to be a herbalist as well. So (laughs) I was trying to choose between a joiner, an actor and a herbalist. Wow, that's quite a combination. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think around the age of 18, I, I decided to go to amateur dramatics because this feeling of being an actor wouldn't leave me. So I thought, well, I'll tell you what, go to amateur dramatics and see whether it's where you're meant to be. So I did and really, really enjoyed doing shows and stuff like that. And then around about the age of 20, and as I mentioned earlier, I contacted a drama teacher from the local newspaper and I started going to her for lessons so I was doing elocution lessons and I started to work on acting which was through the the Guildhall speech and drama organization so I was taking exams so I went I went with her for a year and that was the sort of deciding point that I knew after one year that yes I, I want to 
and go to drama school. Now, it just so happened that she was also the a drama teacher at the Liverpool Theatre School, which is where right. I trained. I mean, bear in mind that I'd, you know, I had applied for all the London schools like Rada, Mount View and stuff like that. And I did actually attend an audition, I think when I was about 18, I went to Mount View. And I can remember just going in on the Shakespeare part and just completely forgetting my lines, <laughs> you know, and, and, and apologizing, saying, because you walk into a room, you know, it's my first experience. I walked into a room, there's like five or six people in a straight line behind a desk. And they, you know, they didn't smile or anything. They just looked, <sighs> up, looked up at you and said, okay, when you're ready. So you're already, you know, you're shaking with yeah, nerves. Yeah. So I did my piece, forgot my lines, and then just apologized. I said, can I start again? And he said, nope, sorry, that's it. And that was it. <laughs> it was back out, back on the train. Oh, brutal. Back, back up north, you know. Oh, Jesus. So I think that put me off going, trying again for any London school. So because I'd been to the drama teacher for a year, you know, I knew her. She said, try for the Liverpool Theatre School. I did. I got in and in the first year you had to do dance and drama because at the age of 60, 16, I'd, I'd started sort of doing bodybuilding and stuff. I was already into fitness. So going to drama school and finding dance, you know, especially ballet, I thought, this is fantastic. I absolutely love it. So I was sort of like the golden boy then because I was older than everyone else. So I knew that I'd had a job, I'd left my job, and I knew that all I wanted to do was work, 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 work at everything, whether it was dance or drama. Whereas some of the students had come straight from school, so they, they were back in education, so they didn't have the heart in it fully. So yeah, I was like the gold boy because I had a good physique, I could I could dance, I, I did 100% in everything I did. So we had the, the principal of the dance wanting me to be a dance you know, students, the principal of the drama saying, look, because I'd already had qualifications, I was already ahead of everyone as well. So I ended up going into the third year for drama. So I was mixing with, you know, really, really sort of on the ball actors already. <laughs> so I was getting, you know, the full experience, absolutely loved it. And I stayed on an extra year. So cut a long story short, because I do tend to wobble on. Oh, it. don't worry. I'm, I love that. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> that. I ended up qualifying as a dance teacher and a drama teacher, but knowing full well that I never wanted to be really either. Mm. I mean, over the years, I have gone back and been a drama teacher and stuff like that, but knowing full well in my heart that all I wanted to do was be an actor, really. So, yeah, um, I forgot oh. the original question. <laughs> oh, no, no, you answered it perfectly. It was just we're sort of talking about your time at uni and stuff and your core, your drama school. But just to quickly, for the listeners, Carol, we try and sort of, like, something we're trying to do on this podcast is for a lot of people that listen are at the start of their career are emerging creatives. And, you know, that's the sort of in this industry you are going to have to go and work, you know, do these like in-between jobs that you maybe, it's not where your heart is, but... I don't know if you have any advice that just you've got to keep faith sometimes in things. Well, let me tell you that when, when I left drama school, after being there for four years, you come out and you feel, yeah, I can conquer the world. Yeah. Because think about it, you know, you, by then you're in your final year, you're doing, you know, you're doing shows, first years are coming in, they're, they're looking up to you because you know you, you feel as if yeah I'm, I'm the best you know you're going out there but you're going out as a small fish into a big sea you don't realize that so when I left I was very very obstinate that no I'm not going to do any other job you know I've, I've 
trained for four years full time. There's no way I'm going to do anything else <laughs> yeah. apart from act. Well, you know, after sort of being slapped around the face by having no money and stuff like that because I was being obstinate, I did have to go and find another job. And it's the one job which, because I think it's probably one of your questions, is it's the one job which I hated <laughs> and detested. Yeah. And it was actually working in like a little convenience store <laughs> as a security guard, <laughs> but not as a security guard in, in, in a uniform or anything, but just having to stand there really and watch people come in and just keep an eye on them. <laughs> I, I really hated doing that because, you know, it's, it's like I don't want to watch people because it's as if you're mistrusting them as soon as they come in. And plus, I didn't, you know, I'm an actor. Why am I stood in a shop? I should be acting. <laughs> but at that time, we didn't have the Internet. We only had the, the magazine, The Stage, which is now online, obviously. But then it was a newspaper. So I think it was every Wednesday or Thursday, you, you would go to the news agents and you would get it and quickly turn and to the job pages and you're going through <laughs> and circling jobs that you're going to apply for. And then you have to sit down with a pen and paper and you have to write a letter and you have to send your 10 by 8 photos and you have to have all these envelopes and all these stamps. And then you send them off, you know, maybe 10, 20 of them all at once. And then you wait and wait and wait <laughs> and nothing comes back. Oh. Not even, you know, not even a uh, sorry, you know. Nothing. It's not like now where you can just get an email and you can refresh it and it's like two hours later. Sorry. Exactly, exactly. So there are similarities, but there are a lot of differences for people who want, uh, who are leaving the, you know, leaving theatre school and coming into the business, but also two people who want to come into the business. All I would say is obviously time at this moment is really, really difficult for, for everyone not alone just the arts but for me getting through the tough times when there's there is no acting work and having to do other jobs so yeah I should should actually say I, I soon became wise that there is no sin in being a jobbing actor yeah and that, that's that's the first thing you should accept that whatever job you have to do if it's not acting take the experience and you can put it inside yourself in your memory for characters yeah. and you can use those experience of if you have to you know if you're face to face with customers or whatever job you're doing they are skills that you can bring to your acting yeah. so once i realized that i thought there's nothing wrong in having to be a you know having to be a jobbing actor and do other jobs yes it's frustrating because we we, we all just want to act 24/7 but Unless you're one of the fortunate ones who gets a big break, then you will be, you'll have to be a jobbing actor. Yeah, no, that's, that's so true, Carl. And I would actually apply that sort of philosophy to all walks of the creative arts. Like as a writer, I try and take experiences from everything I do. And I think it helps you get through the day. Sometimes I have days that when I'm working my care job and I'm like, I'm not enjoying this. But then I quote, well, how could this work in a script? You know, how could you take this? Yes. I mean, and it helps so much. Yeah. So that's great yeah. advice. And it's so true. Absolutely. And the one thing that sort of kept me going is because I mentioned earlier that I'm a joiner. So for, for the last 20 odd years, I've, you know, I've had to work as a joiner. And I have a friend who owns a German garage door company and they're very sort of top end garage doors. So a lot of my work has been in London, which has been great for me because I've been down there, but 
it's it's been great for me to go down for auditions, you know, and it's not cost me anything. There's more already <laughs> in London. So again, you know, I've I've used that for my benefit as well. But I think the point I was going to make, the the managing director of that company has often said to me, "When are you going to give, you know, when are you give going to give acting up and get a proper job?" You know. Well, that's the whole the whole reason for this podcast, like just get a real job. It's sort of mocking that attitude. Exactly, and and I'm glad I can make this point because. He, he for, year, for years has said, look, if you come and work for me full time, you know, you'll, you'll be on like 30, 35,000 a year. And I've said to him, yeah, and I'll probably last about a week or two weeks before I tell you where to stick your job, to be honest, yeah. because I'd be doing it nine to five, Monday to Friday. And I made that choice as a young man that nine to five, there's nothing wrong with nine to five people, you know, who wanted work. For me, it was never going to work. I'm, I'm more of a 24 seven, you know, because, you know, my wife says, don't you ever stop working? Cause I, you know, I'm picking up my phone still looking for jobs at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. I said, well, that's the business, you know, something pops up on Twitter at 11 o'clock and it's, Oh, right. A casting get in there. Yeah. You know, and that's what I know. And I've always known since in my twenties that, yeah. you know, and I've evolved with that. But when he used to say, you know, get a proper job, I'd say, look, I'd say being an actor for me is like the blood in my veins. The passion for being an actor is the blood in my veins. I can't switch it off. It's just in me. It's in innate. That's the word. Mm-hmm. It's innate. It's in me. I think I was born to be an actor. I didn't decide to be an actor. It was in me. I just yeah. had the had I was had the revelation that I wanted to be an actor because I recognized that passion in myself. Yeah. So, you know, it's not I'd never seen it just as a job. It's it's my life, it's a way of life. And accepting that you're doing other jobs is a way of life as well. Being a jobbing actor is a way of life. You know, not having security, you know, not having the same job every week. It, That's what makes it exciting, imagine though. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I had a colleague, a friend who had worked on various projects and uh, unfortunately, you know, he, he's left us uh, since, you know, he's, he's passed away. But he, he was a singer and a fantastic voice. And he used to work in a bank full time. And I used to say to him, John, I said, if I had your voice, I would be in the West End, like in Les Mis or something. And he'd say, yeah, but Carl, he said, there's no security. And he couldn't live the way I lived and it isn't for everyone though in fair you know what I mean no yeah that's right he needed that security of the bank and there was nothing wrong in that no. but he had such creativity and such a talent okay he turned it in you know he became a singing teacher so he was passing that talent on to other people which was great but I used to be so envious of his voice thinking oh I would die for that voice it was <laughs> I, you know, I didn't get that voice. <laughs> I got other skills, but not that voice. Anyway, yeah. So my advice would be is there's nothing wrong in being a jobbing actor if you've got that passion. And there will be days, there'll be months, there'll be weeks when you'll question yourself and think, why am I doing this? You know, and especially in this period when it's it's making, you know, the mental health, it, it, it's having such an effect on people because it's so difficult. But as you pointed out before, try to think of other ways like you're doing the podcast you know I've gone into voiceover try to think of other ways go into writing you know don't think that 
I just want to be an actor and that's it. There's nothing else. Use your creativity for other things. Yeah. Someone who, well, Caroline, who was on episode nine of the podcast, a good friend of mine, she's a poet and a writer. And she said something amazing. She said she described herself as a creative chameleon. And I think a lot of us are like that. You know, we're all, because we, you know, acting is not one thing. We're all creative chameleons. Such a nice little phrase that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some people are not great at, every aspect of of the arts but you know that that makes that's what makes it creative that yeah. you know we, we all rely on each other we all yeah. you know it's a team game have, yeah absolutely team game yeah Hi guys, hope you're enjoying this episode of Just Get A Real Job. If you're really enjoying the podcast, remember to follow us on all streaming platforms and if you're on Apple Podcasts, remember to give us a review. We really do appreciate your support, so remember to share this with your friends and family so they too can enjoy the next episodes of Just Get A Real Job. And now, back to the show. Well, Carol, <laughs> do you mind telling us a bit about your time in the theatre? for? Because you were in theatre for a long time, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my dream was to always be in theatre and to work for the the Royal Shakespeare Company. That was my my main aim, and it still is. I think I, I still love to be, you know, on stage for the Royal Shakespeare Company. And yeah, I think I will be one day. It's still there. Uh, still, it's still deep down inside. So for me, my type of roles were always quite dramatic roles. I really liked dramatic classical theatre. I did a few comedies and such but it never really sort of pulled on you know pulled on my creative heartstrings it was it was more drama and you know characters real character chores and stuff and that's what I liked about theatre was that it was a bit over the top you know you had to be a little bit more dramatic than you are in film so for predominantly about 27 years I did theatre I did theatre and education you know a lot of actors look down their noses at theatre and education but for me, doing it, it was very much like old rep theatre, really. It was a great training ground because, you know, you're going into schools, whether it's a primary school or a secondary school, and you have to be quick responses for things that go wrong. A little child might want to suddenly go to the toilet and run it right across, you know, the, 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 the scene that you're doing. If you're in secondary school, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting there watching you, not wanting to really be there. And they might be pulling faces at you or saying bad words to you or something like that. So it teaches you great skills. And it's really important for the kids as well. Like it's such an important part. Like my mum's a teacher. I'm very passionate about education and I'm very passionate about the arts and being involved in education. And Mm. so I think that's such an important thing that you did. Oh, absolutely. For me, that it was such a rewarding thing. I even set up several theatre companies myself. When I was at drama school, before I left, I wanted to get my equity card because, again, just before I left theatre school, you had to have an equity card to work. Um, it's not like that now, but you, you had to then. So it's a bit of a catch-22. You couldn't work if you didn't have an equity card, but uh, you couldn't get an equ- equity card without having a job. So I set up a company called New Era Drama Company, and I wrote a, a little show, and it was called Bod's Adventures. So Bod was a clown. <laughs> Bod was a clown. And I, I thought, well, children love panto. So let, let's base it very much on the guidelines of panto. So you would have Bod the clown. There was another character called Scamp the puppy dog. And I thought, well, in panto, you know, you, you've got to have a, a 
a sort of bad character, the good character, probably a, a few puppets and, and songs in there as well. So I wrote a show around that and it sort of lasted for about an hour. And I put it out, advertised in the papers and everything, and I started getting, you know, bookings. So I did that for many, many years. And I got my equity card out of that by doing that. And I really enjoyed it. It was, oh, it was hard work because sometimes you were doing three shows in a day. You know, in retrospect, now thinking back, I probably think of a different way of doing bod. But then I had a full white clown face with a red mouth. You know, so you thinking, you know, you arrive at the thing, you've got to put all that on, get your costume on then do the show and you're dripping with sweat. So you've got to come off, take all that off, then pack everything away, drive to the next show, put it all back on. So you're doing that three it's times. Exhausting. <laughs> oh yeah. And you know, we're, we're talking about then I was probably each show was only getting about 25 pounds a show. It was, it, it was good money back in, you know, when it was in the nineties or whatever, but it was hard work. So yes, I, I, I got my equity card from that. And then, Move, moving on, I, I, I've done musicals. Yeah. I used to, I, you know, coming straight from college, being a dancer. I, I, I've done my favorite show was West Side Story. That's a good I've done one. That about three times, loved it. And the last time, end up playing uh, Riff, which is what I was aiming for. So, absolutely loved musicals. But then as time passed on, I sort of found, you know, the musicals didn't come up. And then suddenly you find yourself at my age looking back thinking, well, I'm a bit too old to do musicals now or any dancing because I haven't danced for years. So maybe I should class musicals as sort of gone by now. So, yeah, I had a great career in theatre. And I think I pointed out earlier on, I didn't, I never wanted to do film because for me, you make a mistake and then just do another take. And I used to think, well, what, what's difficult about that? You know, at least if you're on theatre, you make a mistake, you've got to get yourself out of it. Yeah, I was reading cool. that. I was reading that in one of the, when I was preparing to talk to you today, Carl, I was reading one of your interviews and, you, and I read that and I thought that was really interesting, though, the way you'd said that. I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah. do you want to talk about the film thing now then that you were trying to say earlier? Absolutely. Yeah. Before I do move on to that, remind me that we're going to talk about that. Just share a little story about things that can happen in theatre. Mm-hmm. I was at the uh, Floral Pavilion in New Brighton, which is, you know, a very very old theatre bingo for years and it was when I was at drama school and we were in panto I was right at the front of the stage and we were doing I was uh, dressed as a soldier and we were doing a tap dance so I'm, I'm tapping away <laughs> and uh, I think ne- next to me there's two or three other actors in a line so we're all soldiers dancing away we've got a, a gun on our shoulder and then all of a sudden the audience start laughing you know thinking why are they laughing you know it's not funny it's not funny and then I had this big tall hat on, a soldier's hat, and suddenly the hat moves forward, and I turn round, and the whole set behind me has fallen. Oh. So it's, it's fallen onto me. So I've got my left hand holding the set up, carrying on tap dancing, <laughs> and the audience are in pleats of laughter. You know, while I'm holding up this set and we're, we're just carrying on the number. The number comes to an end. Obviously, by then, the, the stagehands have sort of grabbed the back of the set and pulled it up. And we went off to thunderous applause. The audience absolutely loved it, <laughs> you know. So it's just having memories like that. You yeah, know. there was something similar. I used to do a bit of amateur dramatics and I was used to do musicals at school because I can sing and stuff. And I, I was in We Will Rock You, the, you know, the musical, the Queen oh, one. I did that in high school and it was fun. Like we did like three or four nights, uh, just like amateur 
amateur stuff. And I, my character died at the end of the, the first act. So at, mm. in the interval, right? And I had to fall forward flat. And uh, on the second night, it happened and I fell forward flat. And, I, and everyone was laughing. And I thought, why are the audience laughing? My character's just died. And then I felt someone pulling me back. So what had happened was I'd fallen forward too far and the curtain had shut. So my head was just sticking out through <laughs> the curtain. <laughs> it's just ridiculous but it's stuff like that sticks with you do you know what i mean yeah absolutely so i i went for this audition for it was a modern adaption of henry the fourth part two and i thought oh yeah you know shakespeare here we go again classic but a modern adaption and it was for film it was to play the the role of henry and henry was the father and he'd lost his wife and her sister in a tragic accident, in a car accident. So he was trying to adopt his his nephew. He was trying to bring up his three children at the same time. So through the story, he also finds out that he's got leukemia. So when I went for this audition, it was it was for the British Film Institute, and there was two direct and they the audition itself lasted probably for about three hours oh my god wow it's really long Um, yeah so they they had sort of the set dialogue but then they did a lot of improvisation as well on the various scenes and fortunately i I got cast as the role and playing that role because the what there was so much discussion about the characters and the situations because it was a very emotional play one that you know he he finds that he's got leukemia but also that he's lost his wife and he's you know you've got the social services coming to to check that the house is okay for him to adopt his nephew and how his oldest son is going a bit off the rails as well you know so he's trying to cope with all this so it's a very emotional story and it was a great character to play and i can remember suddenly thinking to myself because we did we did some scenes and i felt like i'd come home i really in the first time in my whole career i thought i'd never felt this way before it felt that's where i should be and that's where i should have been the past 27 years <laughs> and i thought this is ironic because I never wanted to do film yeah. and here here i am doing a full u turn you know, saying, I never want to do theatre again. Yeah, I said that on that, you know, on that set. I'm never doing theatre again. This, this, this is where I want to be because I realised that you could reach inside yourself more and use your, your, own, your own emotions and your own memories more realistically than being on stage where, you, you know, as I said earlier, you have to make them a little bit bigger for the audience to see. Mm. this to me was you know you were doing less the less you did the more you gave and I thought wow it was just enlightening for me you know I just thought from that day my career predominantly worked towards film television yeah I I have done a little bit of theatre in between but no I I mean I did a theatre show a couple of well probably about two years ago now and doing it I was thinking why why did it? Why did it go back to this? You know why? You know why I didn't want to do it because you know, side stage, you're shaking like a leaf, full of full of nerve, nervous energy, and then you you know you're in front of you in front of all these people, and if, you know I'm thinking, no, 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 no. <laughs> On set is where I want to be. So yeah, that's my career. But I'm sure all the theatre acting must have has given you all this great stuff that you can now use in your screen career. Like it must have you know it shaped you obviously still. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I don't say it 
to, to sort of put it out there to people that either do one or the other. No, I don't say that. What I mean is that, yes, if you can get theatre, it's a great foundation yeah. for learning skills. But being theatre acting and film acting are completely, I won't say completely different, but they are different. No, they're, 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 they, it fascinates me because my undergrad was in film and theatre and I love, you know, the difference between them because they are very different and, you know. Yeah, they, they are. But uh, I think being quite, I suppose, quite an emotional person, you know, because I, I, I do... I suppose carry my heart on my sleeve you know I, I I do I do show my emotions quite easily to people and, and yeah. I get hurt quite easily I I'm, I'm doing, the exact same yeah. yeah and I think doing film I could connect with the characters more yeah. because I go through a script and I think well what emotion are they feeling here? For me, the way the way I sort of approach a character is that's the way I do it. I, I go through it and I see what what's the emotion they're feeling in this particular scenario. I think back to my own life and think, okay, the scenario is not the same, but the emotion in that particular situation that I experienced is the same. So I will play on that memory, you know, and, and some actors do use that technique, some don't. That's what I found works for me, using my my own memories and real memories. Because if I, if I want to feel sad, not act sad, but feel it from, because, you know, in everyday life, you feel sad. It happens, doesn't it? It just yeah. happens. You don't it comes plan from it. Within. Yeah, it comes from within and then shows outside. And with the film, that's what I realised. Playing Henry, I thought, I've never had leukaemia. So how do I approach having these emotions of frustration and, you know, and stuff like that? So, yes, I could talk to the doctors who are telling me, look, these these are what the effects would be. This is what he'd be feeling. But for me to really try and portray the emotions, the only way I could do that is use the same emotion from my own life yeah. and, and, you know, put it into Henry. And then hopefully the effects on the outside people would say, my God, you know, he's really in pain here. He's really suffering. Because Carl portraying Henry was reliving that memory and yeah. suffering again, you know. So, yeah, it can be really mentally and physically tiring doing that. But that's what works for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm honestly, like, I, this insight's really helpful, Carl. I'm enjoying chatting to you, and it's, I think the listeners will like it. I thought we should probably talk about White Crow just for a bit because... I also just wanted to quick thank White Lady Productions for putting me in touch with you as well, because it was them that, yeah. that asked me to, to um, suggested we had a conversation, which is great. But um, yeah. I've watched the first three episodes of White, um, White Crow and I really enjoyed it. So do, would you mind sort of talking about that for a bit? Absolutely. Well, I got contacted by George Threadgold initially by email, I think. Um, I'm sorry, George, you'd be listening and it wasn't by email. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, I got contacted by George and he said that, would I be interested in playing a role in, I suppose, the first episode, or I suppose it was like the sort of trailer in a way. Uh, Lake Lake of Spies was, I suppose, the introduction mm -hmm. to the, the web series. I suppose I, sh I should say, yeah, White Crow, it's a, it's a web series at the moment. And the, the main character, JD, he's uh, sort of going on a killing spree of trying to wipe out his ex-colleagues who belong to White Crow. So White Crow is the organization. I don't want to give too much away because yeah. obviously the whole 
series is not out there yet. But we'll link uh, what the, the first three episodes, we'll link them under the podcast. So if people want to go and watch please. them after what Carol says, please do, because it's very enjoyable. Yes, please do. I mean, you know, I'm not just saying that, but it's, you know, the actors that George has cast are perfect for the roles and extremely great actors. I'm not speaking for myself. I'll, you know, stand in judgment of that. But yeah, so my, my role, Patrick Adams, was like the mentor for JD, the main character. And the opening scene is, I suppose, seeing JD coming to meet with Patrick Adams at this lake, lakeside. And Patrick Adams sort of having, reliving memories of his life with his wife and his family and how he'd sort of lost He'd lost his son in a tragic swimming accident and he was sort of relating to JD that, you know, he always sort of thought of JD as not a replacement son, but, you know, he cared for him more than any, any of the other sort of trainees that Patrick had trained as spies and i'm not i'm not going to give away what happens in in that uh, episode because people have to watch it but i you know the, the script the whole script and the whole story is absolutely fantastic and, and and george has got he's got so much content in there which is touching on things that are out there actually happening today as well you know it's not just all made up he's he's touched on various elements of conspiracy theories and you know there's there's certain people out there who, who believe that there's certain families who are controlling what's going on and, and you know selling arms I mean, i'm talking now real life but it's also re- relative to white crow as well yeah so i think the point i'm making that if you watch white crow it's very relative to sort of what's happening today it's it's not just uh you know made up yeah and when did you guys film like how long did you film that episode you were in for was it well me personally i, w- I was only there for the day because for, for my scene like yeah, yeah but a lot of the other carrier characters i mean i really i i can't really give you it precisely they, okay done, or... you know say two or three days here and there because it's the funding as well you know we, mm. we, we've struggled getting funding but now uh we've, we've, we've had the first second and third episode made and we've just got enough funding i believe to make the next three episodes but uh there's things in the pipeline for it that's good there's, that's exciting i look forward to that things on the, yeah on the horizon yeah. for it Brilliant. so i think uh, white crow is going places so i think you know to people who are listening in get the opportunity to watch it now because it's going places <laughs> yeah good good uh, little advice there <laughs> well i have one question for you so if you could play anyone from history who would it be from history wow i wish i would have known that question before <laughs> i just made that one up this morning <laughs> whoa okay you know what this is going to sound quite scary i i imagine but i like to read books about serial killers and especially Jack the Ripper. Anything to do with Jack the Ripper. And that's not to glorify him in any way no, no. for, for what the, the person did. It was despicable and not to glorify serial killers. But I've always been fascinated to read about serial killers and yeah. what the motivation was to, to make them do such a terrible, terrible thing or things. So... I won't say there's one character, but in my career, I think I would like to portray a serial killer, but a, a real serial killer. Mm. From history, yeah. Yeah, so mm. that I could try to understand maybe a little bit more. You know, what what, what makes a human being 
tick that way, whether it's a, a male or a female, what makes another human being take someone's life and not only just take someone's life, but do it in, you know, horrible, horrendous ways and then have no remorse. So yeah, my answer would be, there's no one specific. No, that's, a, that's a good answer. That's interesting. Yeah. It doesn't make me a serial killer. No, 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 don't worry. Just to clarify <laughs> listeners, Carl's a, a very nice guy. He's not, he's not a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's going back to like the beginning of the interview yeah. where, you know, I said I can be being becoming an actor is to explore and become characters that yeah. I'm not in real life. And I suppose that's it, nailing it on the head. It's exploring those emotions and what makes a person like that tick, yeah. basically. Well, my next question for you, Carol, is, and this will be really useful to the like sort of people at the start of their career listening, but how do you deal with rejection as an actor? Because that's a big part of it. Yeah, well, I mean, after the, the tears and everything have stopped. <laughs> 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 no. no, it's, I think, starting at the beginning, you know, I, I took rejection really, really badly. You know? Yeah. As I said, when I left college, you know, you're you're on a high. You've you know you're a fourth year or a third year. You're coming out thinking, are hey, you going to conquer the world? You're the best. That you're going to walk straight into a job. That every casting director is going to think this person is fantastic. And then you know you send, as I mentioned earlier, you know you're sending out all these letters and 10 by 8 photographs, thinking, oh, you're going to get about 10 replies, and you're going to have to choose a job. Mm then nothing comes back. And handling it when I was in my 20s was really, really difficult, especially with the added knowledge of having to then take on another job as well. Yeah. You know, I felt a bit of a failure thinking, oh, I've just done four years of college and now I've got to take another job and I'm not getting any acting work. The temptation is, is that you start to take on anything. And there are a lot of good jobs out there, but I think the problem with this business is that it seems okay for you to work for nothing, which no, it's not okay. It's not okay. But I'm not saying don't do it because I've gained a lot of experience by doing work over the years for nothing. Yes, you can get footage for your showreel, especially these days. You know, I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm just saying the whole system yeah. The whole career, you know, the whole the whole arts business. It's a shame that it allows it to happen because, as as a joiner, you know, as well, if someone contacted me saying, "Look, can you come and fit my kitchen for nothing?" You know, that would be an insult. No, you're you're absolutely spot on. It's it's a big issue, and I mean, I've I've worked on a lot of short films. I've never been paid for it, and I'm kind of they were great experiences, and they have helped me. But I am at a point in my career where I'm sort of like, well, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. For do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it gets yeah. to the point where you're like, I'm offering something and I'm, you know, doing a good job. And it's like what you yeah. say, if, you know, if somebody said, come in and do your care job, we're not going to pay. I'd be like, whoa, hold on a minute. Do you know, so you're bang yeah, on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I'm not saying I'm the best, but, you know, I've got years and years and years of experience yeah. underneath me and behind me. And whether, you know, that's in acting and as a joiner. So someone employs me to do a joinery job because they know I'm good at doing my job. Someone yeah. should employ me for doing my acting job because I'm good at what I do because I've got years and years experience. Definitely. I'm not saying I'm the best because I'm still learning, but even today, you know, in this day and age, at this age, I still find myself thinking, oh, should I apply for that? It's, yeah. it's not paid, but I haven't done anything for a, a 
a week. Yeah, it forces weeks. you into that, doesn't it? It's the system yeah. does need reformed and looked at. Just get a real Carol, thank you so much for talking to us. And you'd answered this. So there's one more question for you. You'd answered it kind of throughout the whole interview. I think you'd given lots of great advice and tips, but we sort of always finish our interviews. Do you have any tips you could summarize just for anyone, for anyone who wants to maybe get into acting? What would your main advice be? Well, a lot, I, I read a lot of um, like Twitter advice and uh, Instagram advice out there, you know, people asking these questions saying, should I go to drama school? Some people saying, yes, you need to go to drama school. Other people saying, no, you don't need to go to drama school. I think probably years ago when I first started, yes, you yeah. needed to go to drama school. I think now the way the business is that there's a lot of casting for this. It's not really a term, this, but it's a term that's used today real people they're casting real people who yeah. have not done any acting and as a, an actor with you know years and years yes it does irritate me i think for god's sake you know i've been <laughs> acting for that and this person's done nothing and they walk yeah. straight into this role and you know blah 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 yeah. but it's the way it is at the moment it's the way the business is so my advice would be yes you do need to have some knowledge you should, for me, yes, you've, if whatever accent you have, use it. If you're a Northern or a Southern actor, then you've got that already. If you can change it, brilliant. So there's one aspect. Try to work on at least having a couple of accents mm. that you can change because it opens up, you know, more more opportunities for you. Read because, you know, read and practice sight reading, you know, out loud. Because going for an audition, if it's going to be your first one, you know, you might be given the script before you go in. You might not have time to learn it. So you will be sight reading. And if you're not good at quickly glancing down and then acting to the, you know, towards the ca camera or the casting director, they're going to see that, you know, you're fairly new and stuff like that. Going to a drama school at this time, obviously, is not looking very promising no. at the moment. So you're going to have to find other ways. There's plenty of online workshop you know i mean my my agent order they've set up order academy now anyone can go on order academy yeah we'll link this and, under the show and they do workshops with casting directors and i think they're one of the, the cheapest around and the reason they're doing that is because they want to change the whole business they, they they want people to you know they want actors to, to stop being ripped off basically saying mm. come and do this workshop for 60 70 quid for an hour no forget that they're saying actors are trying to find work we're all trying to find work and we don't have a lot of money yeah so you know they're trying to promote a, a new way forward and they are doing it they're, that's, they're making that's really good to hear absolutely so my advice is be creative even if you're at home if it's reading as you said, if you, you know, do a podcast, sit down and write something, you know, you might think, oh, I'm not a writer, but just write, do poetry, do anything, but be creative. So that's, that's my advice. If, 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 if it's the blood in your veins and you know that you're not going to ever give up wanting to be an actor, then get it off your arse, excuse my friend. <laughs> that's fine. Right, and do it, you know, do something at home, be creative at home. Don't let the walls close in on you. Don't let society make you feel I'm not worth it because you are, you are. And the world, the world is changing and we're going to see the arts 
are what are going to bring people together. Yeah, so true. We're seeing it. We're seeing it. We're seeing yeah, it. Yeah, it's happening right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's a perfect time to be coming into the business. Honestly, thank you so much for coming on, Chad. This has been a really great conversation. I, I honestly, oh, like, I have such an interest in life and you're so passionate. And I think I think our listeners will get that. So I really appreciate you, your James. time. And um, I, I really appreciate you inviting me. You know, I, I'm really happy to have done this. Thank you oh, very much. Pleasure. No problem at all. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Just Get A Real Job. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Carl and I hope you did too. I'd like to thank Carl once again for giving us his time and coming on the podcast. And if you liked anything Carl had to say, remember and check the links underneath the podcast with links to the web series White Crow. There's links to Carl's previous work. There's links to his website, stuff like that. So I'd recommend checking that out. Uh, remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, Word of mouth is our best tool in growing the podcast. So tell people you know, tell your friends to listen. And remember, if you can afford to, please support our Patreon page by donating anything you can afford towards this project so we can put money back into the podcast and we can keep growing it. And you can do this at www.patreon.com slash justgetarealjob or just click the link below the podcast. It'll take you to the Patreon page. And if you can afford to, that would mean the world to us and you will forever be a legend. Thank you to everyone for your continued support and we'll be back again at the end of the week with another episode of Just Get A Real Job. Just get a real job